sure way. This is my my point of view. Thank you. Thank you, Marek. Uh, peace for Ukraine. Please go ahead. Hello. Good morning, Em. Hope all is well. Um, I would like whether you or Axel or both, whoever has the time and space, to just to give us a bit of your comment and your opinion, perhaps develop on uh, Vendelayan Street uh, with the support uh, given, uh, in particular, where she attaches a, a thread of five tweets where she speaks about um, Putin and his cronies paying the price for the war crimes and atrocities because we are starting to name names. So all 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 those uh, and I'm sorry I have to say it those comebacks that have been um, uh, feeding this and um, ordering giving orders for these atrocities um, and this is put together with another sanctioned fact where uh, the oil ban is being mentioned. It's not being full closed down as fast as uh, we would love all of. And finally, just a small sort of between uh, between brackets. I, I totally agree that uh, if someone in, in the coalition and the allies of countries are giving and supporting as we all should um, uh, to, to Ukraine. If someone has led the example is UK for sure. They have been showing the way and in the position they, this is how we should support a country. This is how it's done. And, uh, and kudos to, to, for this. And that's, that's all we have to do. Uh, every single country is to support Ukraine. Thank you. Thank you, Peace for Ukraine. I haven't uh, seen that thread, so if you'd be too kind to send it to me in DMs, I'll check it out. Axel, do you have any information about that? Axel? I'm just looking for it and send it to you. Okay, send it to me. I'll, I'll give it a quick read and then uh, answer your, uh, your comment. Uh, Christopher, please go ahead. I have a real quick question. Has anything gone up over in the Black Sea as of the past few hours? We're tracking a fire in the Black Sea and we're tracking a response to it. A couple of helicopters. Uh, we don't have uh, information yet. Yeah, uh, what, what Evan said, at the moment, looking into a few things, it could be, an, it potentially looks like an oil rig. Um, at first, it looked like the oil rig was probably just flaring, but now there's been helicopters that have been out to the area a couple of times, so we're keeping an eye on it. Um, if we find out any more, it's strange. I have a feeling, though, this might just be some civilian accident because I cannot see Ukraine targeting a civilian um, oil rig, but when we find out more, I'll let you know. Thank you. Thank you, Christopher. Uh, Jay Nagoyan. Uh, hi, good morning, everyone. 
Um, uh, looks like we got off of the last subject. Um, I would just like to share about some uh, charity news um, on my end. Um, uh, my community here, uh, I'm, a, I'm an American, uh, but uh, I'm also a Vietnamese American um, and a Catholic. So uh, a, uh, a priest friend of ours, um, uh, after the new invasion started in February, uh, he started a, a charity. Um, the translation would be Catholics for Ukraine. Um, and he's working with uh, both uh, Orthodox and uh, Catholic priests in Ukraine. Um, so uh, our Vietnamese American community here, uh, specifically in Orange County, California, um, the donations have been about 200,000 US dollars. Uh, that's going towards uh, humanitarian aid for refugees uh, crossing the border um, and also for humanitarian aid uh, in Ukraine, uh, led by the uh, the priests of the Redemptorist uh, Redemption uh, Redemptorist Order. Um, yep, just just wanted to share that. Thank you, Jay. Philip. Hello. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for the for hosting the space and all the uh, interesting insights. Um, I had one little comment to um, echoing what the previous speaker was saying about Boris Johnson, and I completely agree. And I just wanted to comment that, uh, in my opinion, that's also one of the late outcomes of Brexit that we're seeing in Europe. Um, where this troika of France, Germany, and the UK was broken, and now we really, we really see the the loss of the UK as a leader in the military dimension. Because clearly, as we have seen, Germany is not ready to step up in this regard. Um, but I also had a quick little question. I don't know if it's changing the topic too much. And um, Belarus announced that they were going to have military trainings um, to test, um, to have military exercises to test and train combat readiness. And to me, that kind of rang alarm bells because that sounded exactly like what um, Russia and Belarus were doing in February prior to the invasion. So. My question would be um, how, to what extent do you assess the probability at this point that Belarus might in the end actually join the war? I mean, uh, experts have said that Belarus doesn't really have the capacity, but on the other hand, Putin seems desperate to have more boots on the grounds. And now this uh, uh, announcement of a new military training exercise, um, I wonder what, what, how you see the possibility of that. Thank you. Philip, you know why Belarus are doing that? Because every NATO country at the moment is under undergoing the the biggest the biggest training operations, well some of the biggest training operations and exercises that NATO have have, have done and they're getting pulled together at um, a quick rate with 
near enough every nation involved. You've got um, special forces exercises. You've got air force exercises, army exercises. So the reason Belarus are doing that is because they all around them, every other nation is doing the exact same. Russia just announced today that their north, their northern fleet of the navy. We'll be, for the next month, we'll be carrying out exercises up in, I think it's in the, the Baltics, <laughs> not in the Baltics, up near Finland and in uh, Sweden and stuff like that. So they, they've just announced today they're going to do a tw- uh, eight-week, well, two-month exercise up to two months, um, and which will involve live fire and missile firing, etc., etc. It's all sabre-rattling, and <clears throat> Belarus can do an exercise if they want, but... They know they know the reason they're doing an exercise is they know NATO are doing ex- exercises all around them. So it doesn't really. I wouldn't be worried about Belarus getting involved. To be quite honest, that's just nothing I would really, really worry your worry your worry yourself about too much. Thank you, uh, OSN ninety eight. Philip, does, does this answer your question? I think it does. Does that answer it, Philip? All right. Let's go to uh, Dr. Adam. Uh, you don't have to. He stole my question. I wanted to know what the significance of the Belarusian thing is, but uh, I can update you guys because Lukashenko came out about an hour ago and said these exercises hold absolutely no threat for anybody who borders uh, Belarus. So from his mouth to the world comes the truth. What I will say is that there's S-300s on the move in Belarus towards the Lithuanian border. Take what you will from that. Thanks, Dr. Dom. And we were joined by Roman Ratusny. And uh, a reminder to everyone, Roman is with the 93rd Mechanized Brigade currently fighting near Izum, and Roman is with the reconnaissance platoon of the 93rd Brigade. So please uh, get ready with your questions and share and retweet the space. You can tag Roman as well and uh, end your share and retweets. And uh, yeah, back to you, Roman. How are you doing and what changed since yesterday, since the last time we spoke? Хай, евріван. Все цілком нормально. З вчорашнього дня змінилася певна тільки кількість мертвих російських солдат і кількість звільненої української території. Росіяни відступають потрохи назад, відкочуються до Ізюму. Я так розумію, що вони планують закопуватися глибше для того, щоб не допустити втрату ключових населених пунктів до 9 травня для сакрального для них дня. От, але виходить у них не дуже. Ну, так, з останніх новин. What changed since the last time we spoke with Roman, which was yesterday? Not much, just a bigger number of Russian soldiers, Russian invaders who were eliminated, and a bigger Ukrainian territory that was liberated from Russian invaders. 
So that changed. And um, essentially it appears that Russians are pulling back towards Izum specifically right now. And it appears that they are getting ready to dig themselves in significantly, specifically around bigger settlements, bigger towns, so that they don't lose any of these um, until or during their major propaganda holiday of uh, May the 9th, or their own Victory Day or version of Victory Day. So that said, Roman, um, I believe you mentioned briefly that there was a minor counterattack or or it, it was more than a minor. Can you just elaborate on that in terms of uh, Ukrainians pushing Russians back? Ну, точно детально розповісти не можу, тому що ситуація ще не усталена, але мова може йти про звільнення в найближчий час декількох сіл, поза як звільнені привеглі поля до них, і, можливо, десь до кінця тижня, можливо, вихід боїв вже на на рубежі безпосередньої зюму ну з того з того що видається можливим але знову ж таки є ряд факторів про які я говорив вчора і до яких можна додати сьогодні відсутність в достатній кількості переносних комплексів ПЗРК для піхотинців от які можуть цьому завадити але сподіваємося на краще So situation is fluid and developing. This is also worth noting. And uh, essentially, oh, wait a second. <clears throat> situation is fluid and developing. And uh, it appears that a couple of villages have been liberated already, or potentially more will be liberated because the wide open fields were cleared from Russian invaders, uh, specifically the fields near those villages around Izum or towards towards Izum. And maybe, potentially, we can expect uh, Ukrainian defenders essentially slowly approaching Izum or approach, approaching the outskirts of Izum by the end of the week. If, if everything goes according to plan, if everything goes right. So that said, uh, some hindrances might be in place for such counteroffensive or such advance of Ukrainians, specifically the lack of uh, man pads. Unfortunately, that might be an issue. And can you elaborate more about the lack of Pazerka man pads? Zaras, Ichmut. Їх, ну, принаймні, безпосередньо у нашого батальйону на позиціях, їх замало. Ну, базова кількість, яка була видана при виході батальйону, частина знищена внаслідок ворожих обстрілів, внаслідок ударів ворожої авіації. Ну, це, це нормальна практика. Питання в тому, що нових 
видають ну, з величезними затримками і в малих кількостях. Групи, які ну, розвідувальні, наприклад, які виходять, вони не мають при собі засобів ПЗРК для того, щоб вражати ворожі літаки. І ну, ситуація в плані літаків ворожих достатньо складна. До того ж, ми бачимо, що Росія сконцентрувала велику кількість нової літальної техніки на стратегічних напрямках. І Об'єктивно, російських літаків стало більше, а кількість ПЗРК ну, в кращому випадку залишилася та сама, що і була. Дякую. So, indeed, there is a problem with men pads right now, specifically with Roman's battalion. His battalion is a part of 93rd Brigade. What is the problem with manpads or Pazerka in Ukrainian? The problem with the manpads is that uh, they've been used. Uh, a large number of them was destroyed because Russians use uh, aerial bombardments upon Ukrainian positions and therefore some equipment has been lost due to this. Some of them, again, have been used. So it's normal like that. Unfortunately, The new systems, new man pads are being delivered in low numbers and therefore even reconnaissance groups uh, they, that they essentially, that the brigade uses to push further into Russian controlled territory, into Russian occupied territory. Uh, unfortunately, reconnaissance groups, they don't have man pads right now. It's a big issue for them. And uh, therefore, they have little means, if any, to counter Russian airplanes because of the lack of manpads, specifically with, with the reconnaissance groups. And uh, it's getting worse, essentially, because it appears that Russian, Russian invaders, they are concentrating new airframes on these strategic, essentially, areas. And... Uh, Again, overall, situation goes like this. The number of man pets is lower, or at best is the same, mostly lower, because of the aforementioned uh, situation. And the number of Russian airframes and the threat incoming from Russian airframes is bigger, just because of the bigger number of Russian airplanes. And Roman, can you just elaborate... Uh, By airplanes, you mean close air support, like Su-25s. What do you encounter, specifically from the Russian sites or helicopters? How do they use them? Вони використовують штурмові літаки, сушки, гвинтокрили. Ну, не можу сказати, що збільшилась кількість гвинтокрилів. А кількість літаків збільшилася однозначно, тому що ну, щодня відбуваються авіанальоти на позиції нашої бригади. І раніше ну, такої щільності і такої частоти цих польотів не, не, не було. І, власне, з там, ряду ще інших об'єктивних факторів можна робити чіткий висновок, що у них з'явилося або вони розконсервували або отримали від дружніх країн Радянські літаки і зараз пускають їх в бій по принаймні по нашому напрямку, так точно.
So Roman uh, essentially states that, uh, yes, there is a bigger number of Russian airplanes and significantly bigger. Uh, they didn't notice bigger number of helicopters, but close air support planes, yes, this is the issue. Uh, fixed wing close air support airplanes, way more, the, way more of those. And overall, way more of Russian bombing runs perpetrated by Russian airplanes. And it's very much felt and it's tangible for uh, Roman's brigade and Roman's battalion because their position, they receive way more bombing attacks from Russian airplanes lately. And it wasn't the case like that. It wasn't the case. So it increased significantly. So it appears that either Russians, Russian invaders have reactivated the older Soviet airframes or they managed to receive those from somewhere else, from the countries who support Russians. So it's hard to tell. But the, the only obvious thing is that their brigade, their battalion receives more bombing runs from Russian airplanes, from fixed winged, fixed wings. Um, Russian airplanes. And I think we have Louis. Louis, go ahead with your question. Hey, hi, uh, Roman. Slava Ukraini. Um, what, I, what I would like to ask is, um, what, what, beside of weapons, um, what can we normal people do uh to to support you normal soldiers what do you need most uh, at the moment uh, food uh, water can can you give us an example звичайні люди за межами України можуть найкращою підтримкою буде і вона насправді є за що я дуже вдячний і це варто продовжувати найкращою підтримкою є адженда українська підтримка української адженди і обіювання України в умовах, коли Росія, ну, з того, що, можливо, я можу помилятися, тому що я зараз трохи випав з відповідного інформаційного поля через об'єктивні обставини, але з того, що бачу я, достатньо сильно посилюється, відновлюється російська пропаганда в ряді західних країн, починаються знову розмови після, після геноциду в Бучі, в Гостомелі, Ірпіні знову починаються розмови про те, що не все так однозначно і так далі. Підтримка української адженди, зокрема і тиск на нейтральних політиків з власних країн, це найкраще, що може зробити проста людина – зайняти чітку позицію. Ну, я, власне, дуже дякую тим, хто це робить, мільйонам людей, які це роблять заради України і заради безпеки Європи. Okay. So, yes, Roman somewhat um, disengaged from information bubbles due to obvious reasons because he is fighting on the front line. However, first of all, he's uh, trying to emphasize the biggest thing that all of us abroad away from Ukraine should do and are doing or sh should continue to do. And this is crucial and uh, imperative to push Ukrainian agenda and to support Ukraine. Because it appears that even after Bucha massacre, after the war crimes and after the genocide started and became obvious, 
there is some time that passed and Russian propaganda uh, it's being reactivated in the West. They again are trying to push notions, preposterous notions that uh, everything is not so clear. They try to muddy the waters. They try to to push with whataboutism. They try to uh, again push with the notions of oh there are two two sides to this and other nonsense. So everything is not clear, and Russian propaganda tries to push this, you know, agenda of uh, everything being cl- not clear, murky, and other nonsense. So again, it's imperative for us, according to Roman, to stand our ground, to push Ukrainian agenda, and to counter Russian propaganda and promote Ukraine by all means and exert pressure upon neutral politicians upon uh, politicians who are not assertive, not resolute without with their stance regarding Ukraine. And this is what we should continue to do, again, to push Ukrainian agenda, to exert pressure on our politicians, on our elected officials. And again, therefore, we will only continue by doing such. We will continue to protect uh, the rest of the world and protect Europe. Thank you, Roman. Please keep safe and uh, Slava Ukraini. Thank you. Thank you. And I think we have a question from Eliana. Go ahead, Eliana. Hi, thank you. Um, I, this is a different subject than what we've been on, um, but uh, I'm wondering if anybody knows why the UN was able to successfully negotiate a, a um, corridor out of Mariupol um, when the Red Cross has been trying for weeks and weeks and has not been successful. Thank you. Well, uh, Red Cross has a lot of issues, to, to put it mildly, and Red Cross has been implicated with a lot of, or in a lot of shady activities, to say the least, or playing on the Russian side. So Red Cross is the entity that is definitely compromised. Something that should be imperative and should be known that Red Cross is compromised and Red Cross is definitely not supportive regarding the actual relief effort. Whatever goes to Red Cross is being wasted. Whatever goes to Red Cross is being squandered, whatever goes to Red Cross is being essentially engulfed and digested by the bureaucratic machine, and that's it, with the little results for the people who actually need help and request help. That said, I would like to actually get back to Roman with some questions. So if the audience has questions specifically to Roman, who is near Izum, you have a unique opportunity to to ask those. Вальтер, коротенько, я раптом все потрібно. Про Червоний Хрест, дуже популярний жарт на позиціях, що якщо в цей район заїде Червоний Хрест, єдине, що зміниться, це з'явиться кувер і кондиціонер. Right, so uh, the popular, kind of popular joke 
uh, across Ukrainian positions and uh, within Ukrainian units uh, goes like this. What happens if Red Cross uh, appears somewhere around the positions or the front lines? The only thing that will change is that the cooler or a fridge will appear and uh, AC unit will appear. That's it for their own comfort, for the comfort of Red Cross. So again, this is only indicative of where Red Cross is and that they care about uh, the well-being of their own personnel, pretty much it, nothing else. In broad strokes, of course. Uh, Pekka, go ahead. If you have a question, please ask. Pekka, you can unmute yourself. Pekka Olinki. Hi. I'm from Finland, and I have been listening to this discussion. Yes, if you have a question to Roman, please ask. Uh, how do we get... How do we find a way to not go to nuclear war? That is my question. It's a big question, thank you. And uh, that said, let's, let's get a follow-up question to Roman from Lewis. Go ahead, Lewis. Uh, it, it isn't a question, it's just uh, an answer for the lady that was talking about uh, Red Cross and UN. I would say um, UN was able to ma make it because uh, they sent uh, Portuguese uh, over there. Uh, I'm, I'm Portuguese and we can be very persuasive uh, if we want someone to do something. A small joke, sorry. <laughs> Yeah. So actually, I have a question to Roman. Uh, yesterday, Roman mentioned uh, Russian Special Forces units and their equipment. And we had the fighter from Donbass Battalion. Just an anecdotal experience, something that I wanted to share. Uh, he stated that they had thermal scopes with a range of 800 meters, the, the units of Donbass Battalion. And they weren't able to essentially to detect Russians who either were very much well concealed or had equipment with a range, a thermal scope equipment with a range bigger than 800 meters. So something uh, quite intricate and uh, of higher tire of sorts. So again, this goes along with what Roman stated yesterday about the equipment of Russian Special Forces. Can you elaborate a bit more about what you encounter in the field, uh, specifically um, with Russian Special Forces groups? Якщо можна українською трохи, тому що я там у нас був боєць з Донбасу. Він розказував, що в нього в них там теж на звод був чи на кілька зводів. Один тепловізор на 800 метрів він тягнув, і з боку русні в них там був якийсь руснявий спецпідрозділ з 
з термою, яка витягувала більше, ніж на 800 метрів. Не знаю, що там в них таке було. То він припускав, що вони або дуже добре були замасковані, або щось у них явно краще є. І вчора ти розказував про, про їхнє обладнання. Може, розкажи трохи більше, що зустрічається, або що, чим вони там обладнані, як, як це нейтралізується зарубше. Ну, от цілком, до речі, може бути, що у них більше, ніж 800 метрів. Можу розказати дві історії. Вночі сьогодні сиділи з тепловізором несу чергування, тепловізор сів, чергування закінчилось. Десь так. А друга історія, це, це про забезпеченість просто підрозділів. Це про те, що ми були достатньо близько до ворога, і тепловізор був необхідний. А друга історія в тому, що працювали сьогодні з українськими спецпризначенцями, і ну, у них, звісно, краще обмандрування, у них є кеварові каски облегшені, аптечки, устаткування різне і так далі, все, все, все дуже класно і тому подібне, але... З того, що я розумію, що половина з усього цього була куплена ними ще задовго за особисті кошти і задовго до початку широкомасштабної війни проти України. Тобто це, ця ситуація не тільки з такими розвідниками, як ми, ця ситуація навіть з спецурою і спецурою українською. Хоча, ну, якщо говорити про СБУ, їх намагаються забезпечувати максимально, їх спецпідрозділи. So two anecdotal experiences from Roman regarding the equipment on Ukrainian side and overall situation with equipment. Uh, their reconnaissance unit was uh, from their battalion, from their brigade. With, it, with Roman's reconnaissance unit, they were on a mission today. They were essentially scouting and observing an area. And the mission ended uh, abruptly just because the thermal scopes that they used, the batteries were drained and died. So essentially, this also kind of indicates the shortcomings of equipment. And ideally, they would continue the mission. But unfortunately, because of the equipment that they have, and the batteries and the lack of additional batteries, uh, they couldn't continue efficiently again and had to end the mission just because of that. And the other anecdotal experience about the Ukrainian special forces. Yes, they're well, uh, way more better equipped than Roman's uh, reconnaissance unit, of course, uh, because these are way more specialized units. Uh, however, still, it's also should be kept in mind that um, even though that Ukrainian special forces, they do have these lighter Kevlar helmets, they have very advanced uh, first aid kits and uh, other equipment. It should be understand, uh, understood that many of those were essentially procured or purchased by the fighters themselves, by the special forces fighters themselves, even before the, uh, the 24th, before the new Russian offensive started on the 24th of February. So essentially Ukrainian special forces kitted themselves at least uh, partly or significantly. And this equipment is something that they use right now.
And um, yes, they are better equipped, but still, this is an issue. And uh, this is special forces, Ukrainian special forces, the only unit that are essentially very much well supported by the government and very much supported by the resources is SBU. SBU special forces, they're very well kitted. This is where there are no shortcomings. But other special forces, there are significant shortcomings. Uh, and where are shortcomings, they tried to, or they tried and successfully covered those by themselves by the soldiers themselves. Ну і на додачу по забезпеченню, от сьогодні вдалося забезпечити одного з бійців взводу медика каскою. У нього взагалі не було жодної каски, а сьогодні ми йому притягли каску російського зразка, трохи покоцану, але робоча. And regarding another individual experience about the the equipment and what they have at hand uh, in their platoon, their combat medic, he didn't have a helmet and therefore um, they tried to get a helmet for him and uh, they, they, find, they found a way essentially by taking a Russian helmet from uh, from Russian soldier and therefore kitted their own medic in their platoon. So, can I ask him a question, Walter? Yeah, absolutely. Can you ask him? So we just said there when they um, when there's a shortcoming of equipment and they find Russian equipment, they 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 utilize it and they use it for the likes of helmets and stuff. How are they? How are they making these distinguishable that it's not a Russian wearing this equipment? Do do you understand what I'm saying? And as their special forces, obviously they may be wearing slightly different uniforms. So are they marking this equipment to make it distinguishable to their other um, troops so, so there's no blue on blue? Якщо ми говоримо про російські каски або про російські бронежилети, які використовують як трофейні українські бійці, то їх або перефарбовують після захоплення, або наносять на них маскувальну сітку, чохол і так далі і тому подібне. А якщо ми говоримо про відмінність уніформи, ну, уніформи дуже багато абсолютно різної, безпосередньо, ми використовуємо як британську форму зразка МТП, так і український піксель. Дехто використовує з наших бійців взагалі цивільні куртки, не будемо рекомувати дуже хорошу туристичну фірму і так далі. Основна, основний засіб відрізняти своїх від чужих – це кольоровий код. Це пов'язка на руці, на касті на нозі з кольором, який прийнятий ну, командуванням для, для того, щоб відрізняти хто свій, хто чужий. У нас це один, у росіян він, здається, так і не змінився з моменту вторгнення. А ні, у них був спочатку білий, тепер став червоний. От, у нас він змінювався вже чотири рази. Чотири рази, так, чотири рази. 
І це, це основна історія про те, як відрізняти хто свій, хто чужий. І в таких умовах, насправді, на це ще накладається те, що росіяни часто використовують український піксель для диверсійних операцій. І в цих умовах єдине, що рятує від дружнього вогню, від friendly fire так званого, це якісний зв'язок. З який, зокрема, завдяки старлінкам інколи буває, і кольоровий код, особ... ну, особиста кмітливість бійця. Дякую. So, uh, yes, regarding the war trophies or equipment that was captured from Russians, Russian invaders, Specifically, individual equipment like helmets or um, body armor, while well, they are being taken and adjusted, either they are being painted uh, differently or um, and uh, a net is being added, and therefore it uh, visually differs than what it used to look like on Russians. And regarding uniform, uh, Ukrainians utilize a wide variety of different uniforms. Uh, it includes even British MTP uniforms. Many wear Ukrainian pixel uniform, combat camouflage, and sometimes even uh, even you know hiking equipment, hiking gear, hiking jackets from uh, one famous. Um, Um, we wouldn't uh, name them, but uh, one famous brand. So some some fighters also use that. So it differs greatly. So how do you discern in combat who is who and uh, who is friend or foe? Well, essentially two things. It's uh, good communications, number one. And number two is color code. And by color code, we, we mean... Um, the duct tape essentially color duct tape on your helmet on your arm uh and sometimes on your torso or leg so again this is the duct tape and this is the color code essentially russians russian invaders they changed uh their color code identification for individual soldiers since the invasion at least twice Initially, they had white, and now they have red. And for Ukrainian defenders, it's already fourth time that they changed the color code to essentially effectively discern themselves against um, among uh, their friends and uh, to easily discern enemies as well. So again, communications number one, color code number two, And uh, color code depends on the individual commander as well and upon his orders and updates. And uh, also, of course, uh, very much relies upon individual savviness of soldiers regarding discerning uh, enemy and so on. And um, let's move on. I believe we, we got... Uh, Thanks for that. Just, I just want to say thank you, Roman, and give him hell, brother, and stay safe. Hello. Hello. Uh, September, if you have a question to Roman, please.
please do ask. Oh, yes. Uh, hi, Roman. Uh, my name is September. I'm calling from Australia. Uh, how are you? I hope you're well. Um, just want to uh, send uh, all the best wishes from Australia. Um, and I've been following what's been happening in your country uh, every day. And um, we're praying and wishing the best for you. My, my question is, I hope it's not too inappropriate, but it's one of hope. Um, I, I've um, never been to Ukraine, but when you win the war uh, and and you're ready to take um, visitors, um, you know what what would you like us citizens of the world? What would you like us to do when you win the war? How can we help after that? And uh, you know, and I'd like to come and spend my money visiting your country and help rebuild your country. Uh, and if you had any advice to what we can do when you win the war to help rebuild your country. Firstly, thank you for support. Насправді нереально вдячний за ці слова і не маю насправді позитивної відповіді, тому що е, глибоко переконаний, що Росія навіть після поразки через 20-30 років е, все одно повторить е, напад на Україну, як вона це робить вже більше 300 років е, протягом всього, всієї історії України. Росія намагається нас знищити. Е, і коли ми програємо, е, ми стаємо гарматним м'ясом для них в Чехословаччині, в Афганістані, в інших країнах, де Росія намагається вести бойові дії. Якщо ми виграємо, то ну, ми фактично залишаємося фортпостом. Це стосовно того, просто що, що, як я бачу майбутнє. Але я, я, дуже, я дуже вдячний за те, що ви підтримуєте. І я переконаний, що після війни, роки за два-три, ми відбудуємо Україну. І я буду дуже радий вас бачити в Києві. Можу вам зробити екскурсію. І знову дуже дякую за підтримку. So, Роман is incredibly thankful for your support, first of all. And uh, again, incredibly thankful because it matters. And... On the one hand, on the brighter side, it's a far-fetched question, but still, indeed, after after we defeat Russians and after we defeat Russian invaders, it's also it should be understood that even if Russia is completely defeated, but remains as it is, in 20 or 30 years, they will come back. It has been like that for many centuries. After Russia is being pushed back, they always come back to destroy Ukraine and to try to, to, to capture and to stifle Ukraine eventually. It's been like that for centuries and will remain the case if Russia, even if Russia is defeated. So we, we have to prepare for that and keep that in mind. And again, if Ukrainians lose from historic perspective, Ukrainians unfortunately become cannon fodder for Russians and Russians use them uh, as cannon fodder, for example, like it was in Czechoslovakia or Afghanistan, whenever Russia tries to expand their empire. Uh, but if Ukrainians win, win they became, become uh, a shield, a four post, or essentially a bulwark 
of defenses of Europe against Russia and what comes from Russia. It's been like that historically for many years, many decades, if not hundreds of years. So again, even after Russia is being defeated, we should keep that in mind. They will come back or they will attempt to come back. And we should prepare ourselves after that happens and during our uh, rebuilding of Ukraine. And uh, yes, again, Roman is very thankful and he will be happy to to show you Kiev, to show you Ukraine and uh, have you on an excursion or on a tour eventually in the future. And thank you for your support. I have a question for Roman myself. Uh, what kind of equipment do you think would be the most important right now for your unit specifically? Maybe a specific type of thermal scope, maybe a specific type of night vision. Specifically, how is the situation with night vision? Because I know about thermals. But would night vision be a significant contribution to your platoon, to your unit? And what would be helpful? Specifically, if we as volunteers would like to support you, what would you like to to get from us? Simple as that. Це таке питання, блін, не можна так питати. Ну, та приводи нічного бачення з системою кріплення для того, щоб їх не треба було тримати в руках. Це основне. Ну, певне так, певне це основне, тому що все інше, ми так чи інакше там взуття оцього якраз підвезли рюкзаки і так далі. Ну, спорядження потихеньку здобувається. До речі, після випадку з знайденою для нашого медика каскою російською, один з наших офіцерів сказав, що хлопці, що ж ви таке робите? Через, два, через там, декілька тижнів з Америки приїдуть 12 касок на ваш взвод, а потім приїде ще решта 13 чи 14 касок, тому що взводять більше трохи людей. От. Не, не знаю, як тобі на це відповісти, тому що мені не, не дуже комфортно просити щось. Я розумію, але окей. Але я, я, я не знаю, можна, можна, можна розказати людям про те, що до Маріуполя був Батурин, і, і про те, що єдине, що от те, про що питали, що можна зробити для України після перемоги, це розділити Росію на багато різних країн і встановити буферну зону, під гідою, я не знаю, ООН, United Nothing, під мандатом, щоб, щоб просто була буферна зона між нами і Ордою, яка все одно вона буде рухатися у вигляді монголів, росіян, китайців, в будь-якому вигляді вона все одно буде рухатися на нас. Ну і на Європу. Ми ж не, ми ж не є цілею, цілею є Європа. So, uh, thank you, Roman. Uh, regarding specific contribution and something that should be emphasized, yes, night vision scopes, night vision monoculars, night vision overall, and specifically with attachments that would enable them to be attached to helmets so that they don't hold the, the scope itself or the contraption, the night vision, in one hand. It should be attached to the to the helmet and therefore enable fighter Ukrainian defender to effectively uh, engage the enemy because this is where shortcoming uh, 
currently is with night vision gear, night vision equipment. That would be very much helpful. Uh, that was emphasized. Same goes with thermals, but night vision, yes. Specifically something that attaches to your helmet and enables you to effectively engage enemy during nighttime because this is where uh, this is what is lacking and again that said more or less situation is getting better with uh, with simple gear with simple equipment like with footwear with uh, with uniforms specifically with helmets for example after they captured or took uh, um, the helmet for their medic and uh, got their medic in their platoon kitted with a Russian helmet, which, which was taken as a war trophy. Uh, their uh, platoon commander essentially just reminded them that they should essentially wait a little bit more because uh, helmets are coming, specifically 12 American helmets should be arriving soon. And as the platoon is a bit bigger, 13 or 14 more will arrive after that so uh, at least with uh, basics like helmets and uh, footwear and uh, uniforms they are covered but contraptions and equipment that facilitates the waging of war and uh, they're essentially them defending ukraine facilitates it during the night time like night vision is lacking and in very high demand and that should be kept in mind and uh, overall, yes, uh, after after Ukrainian victory, after Ukraine's victory, what we should look forward to and what we should hope for is uh, the solution of Russia or potentially the best outcome would be uh, like like what happened to Soviet Union. It was shattered into pieces, into different countries and some kind of a buffer zone. This is the point overall not even the shattering itself, that some kind of a buffer zone should be established with UN help or under UN control in between Ukraine and what remains of Russia. Uh, because the buffer zone will be needed, the buffer zone specifically for Ukraine and for Europe, because the threat will be coming, the threat will continue coming from the east and all this aggressive intent all this uh, attempts to invade to subjugate and con conquer will continue so the buffer will be needed eventually after the victory of ukraine the buffer between ukraine the buffer between europe and what remains eventually from russia i think we have a question from uh, wendy dyers um, I was going to ask a question about the equipment. Um, uh, I was, I think instead I'll ask a question about uh, the personnel. Which one aspect of personnel would Roman like to see uh, more of in, uh, in his situation right now? Would it be logistics uh, or medics? Um, w w which one aspect of personnel would he like to see more of? Thanks.
Тобто питання більше не про забезпечення, загалом обладнання, а забезпечення типами, типами, мабуть, неправильне слово, забезпечення конкретними службами військ, скажімо так, або це медики, або логістика. Де краще? Де, де потрібно, щоб було покращення? Ну, насправді, командування діє достатньо ефективно, тому, ну, це буде звучати так трохи всерато, але командування діє дуже ефективно, тому покращення треба усюди. Немає такого, що у когось є чогось більшого, а у когось чогось немає і так далі. Все розподіляється, ну, наскільки може, розподіляється рівномірно. Якщо говорити про медиків, ну, те, що я говорив вчора, ключова потреба у медиків безпосередньо у армованих автомобілях, які ми можемо можна виконувати евакуаційні задачі. Тому що наразі на пікапах, ну, от я можу тобі там скинути фотку пікапа і що, і що з ним стало, буквально там за, за якийсь дуже короткий проміжок часу. На пікапах, на... недостатньо для того, щоб покривати потреби евакуації. От, автомобілі, броньовані, які передають з країни Заходу, вони є, вони працюють, але їх мало, ну, бушмастери, наприклад, австралійські, вони є, вони в 72-ї бригади вже виконують бойові задачі вже пізнескільки часу, але вони не покривають весь той обсяг робіт, які потрібно покривати. Якщо говорити про там, моторизовану піхоту або про розвідку, ну так само. От, от наш розвідзвод, наприклад, пересувається виключно на пікапах. Ну інколи ще на Toyota RAV4, купленим за особисті кошти одного з бійців. Так само, як і частина пікапів, інша частина – це волонтерські. Евакуація, якщо буде відбуватися, відбуватиметься так само. Якщо ми говоримо про артилерію, ну, там дуже часто так само використовуються грузові цивільні автомобілі для підвозу боєприпасів, поза як не вистачає військових автомобілів, у яких краща проходимість і так далі, тому подібне. Ну, от, от таких моментів їх можна дуже багато говорити і перелічувати, але суть в тому, що Трохи недостатньо. Дякую. So, overall, yes. Uh, uh, the commanders and overall the command, they distribute all the resources effectively and distribution is efficient and everyone gets what they can get under these conditions. And uh, again, something has to be emphasized. Yes, regarding medics, uh, they need more armored vehicles. Overall, they need more armored vehicles for, for their mechanized brigade, but specifically also for medics, because they need medics to, to, to be secure when they evacuate the wounded. And there is... Uh, There are no armored vehicles, no armored medical vehicles for evacuation of the wounded. What they use right now, essentially, uh, are pickup trucks. And uh, Roman probably will, will share or just will show me 
it's up to him whether it should be shared. What happens to to pickup truck after it's being used on the front line after it you know gets upon some kind of a even minor artillery fire? It's it's getting ruined instantaneously because it's a civilian truck and uh, it 